Welcome to the Tria Prima podcast, a podcast about Freemasonry and the Western esoteric tradition. I'm Pat. I'm Jamie. I'm Jake. And today we are going to be talking about Masonic restoration. Um, this weekend, we're all three of us are going to the um, Masonic restoration, the Masonic Restoration Foundation Symposium in Tucson. It's a mouthful. And, and uh, it got us kind of talking about kind of the state of masonry and kind of what's going on there. We thought this would be a good good topic to talk about this time. Yeah, so we argued about microphones for about an hour, and um, now, uh, now we're going to talk about Masonic Restoration. But didn't we particularly want to kind of pick your brain about your experience sort of coming up through uh, a, like an observant styled lodge. We, we could absolutely do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, nobody knows what that is yet. I mean, well, people know what that is, but it'd probably be a good sequence to. Uh, yeah. Let's get there eventually. But let's, let's kind of tee it up. So, so Jamie, why don't you kind of kick us off with what? So we've had, you know, 20th century masonry that everybody kind of came into over the last hundred years or whatever. Let's say just, I know this is a generalization, but let's say after the world wars, people came back uh, to the United States and let's say they wanted a ready-made sort of social life. So they joined a lodge, which gave them uh, some discipline or some other fraternal order, not always Freemasonry. It could have been the Elks or the Moose or whatever. Um, and their wife joined, uh, their wives joined the uh, Order of the Eastern Star or Amaranth. They got their little boy children into Demolay, their little girl children into Rainbow, Rainbow Girls, etc., and uh, there were a lot of pancake breakfasts and a lot of socialization and just kind of a ready-made social life to come home to and plant your feet, go to work during the day and get into the certainly the most productive era of American uh, life, I would think, right? So just a great era. It produced some of the best times that we've had in America. Uh, I mean, pretty objectively, if you just look at figures, some of the better socioeconomic times, I believe. Um, well, I don't know that. I can't really comment on that. But uh, let's say that, um, you know, the Freemasonry, what in the 19th century was kind of still um, uh, had some esotericism about it, what had some, um, you know... Uh, occultism even you know as evidenced by people like Wilmshurst and Pike and even Mackey I mean these standard in the pocket Masonic voices uh, didn't feel that it was untoward to uh, get into subjects like Gnosticism Templarism um, you know uh, heresies and and uh, Kabbalah and things like that so the 20th century, that kind of changed because of the fraternal boom, this golden age of fraternalism. Uh, things got um, a little more geared towards the social and family life. I think, every, I think that's yeah. about accurate. So fast forward to maybe 10 years ago. When was the MRF founded? Not 20 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. Yeah, I don't know exactly. Uh, so there's been a movement over the last, let's say... Sorry, at, Andrew. At, at the furthest, um, 
a quarter century. Maybe over the last quarter century, there's been a movement towards uh, restoring uh, a Masonic reform, restoring Masonry maybe to its former glory, or maybe taking what we have and just polishing it up a bit and and um, recontextualizing it and re re um, sort of presenting it uh, as as uh, something we imagine to be maybe something like before the fraternal boom, but also something that is worthwhile, something that is, um, you know, where you want to go to a stated meeting, where it's not about reading minutes and balloting and, you know, squabbles about who's going to fix the, you know, the door of the the kitchen door or whatever, you know, I mean, little things. But, uh, yeah, so that's, the MRF has been, uh, you know, spearheaded this movement towards making Freemasonry um, more um, sort of uh, sort of um, intentional. Intentional, I yeah, sure. Yeah. Observant. Mm-hmm. You know, there's all these adjectives we we throw around regarding that observance, traditional observance. I mean. They've hyphenated. Well, we'll get into that whole hyphenation thing at some point, I'm sure. What I always think is interesting is I, I, our lodge gets a lot of those um, those uh, adjectives kind of thrown at it. But I always like kind of Jamie's description of, no, we're just doing really solid Blue Lodge work. You know, we're just a, we're a good, doing good ritual. Yeah, we're doing the book. You know, it's, we're not like, it's not, not like there's, there's like, other degrees that are happening it's it's the three degrees mm-hmm. it's but it's just with a lot of intention i think you're that was that was a really good way of, of putting it. well that's how i see like the project that was ascension was just very intentional it was a it was a lot of frankly like artistic guys that had an eye for and a knack for identifying areas throughout the the blue lodge experience that could be heightened and uh, I think we got par- kind of lucky with our particular group, but I think that there are um, lodges around the U.S. Because is isn't this? I, I don't know much about like European Freemasonry, but I also hear that as a hyphenation European concept, right? Lodges. So what is that? What is that all about? I'm not sure. That's like continent. I think that's like continental Masonry. Okay. And they say so French style, maybe. Okay. Like you would, I think you would consider Mexican Freemasonry being sort of of the continental style it's a little Mm. gaudier a little more emphasis on um, macabre aesthetics and things like that but i don't i'm not sure i haven't visited a lodge down there but i mean the the our listeners should know that the three of us belong to um a lodge that was recently chartered 2018 we received our charter ascension lodge number 89 in phoenix arizona and uh we um we, while I hesitate to call it an, an observant lodge or a TO lodge or to hyphenate it, because I don't think that's necessary, because as Jake said, we're doing Arizona Grand Lodge ritual. That's it. We're not doing anything um, different with that. You know, we're, we're just we've spruced up the aesthetic experience. We've added the senses by burning it, you know, incense. We've corralled uh, people's senses like with lighting uh, you know, we music. we wear tuxes. Uh, we have music. We have an organist. You know, so you know, I was just thinking about that. I guess hadn't hit me until just now. 
is that we think about this rather abrupt, well, at least allegedly abrupt transition of Freemasonry from uh, from operative to speculative. And I, I think it might even be fair that there was another sort of abrupt leap in the era that <clears throat> Jamie was talking about, where it was like from speculative to knife and fork. Like, it was almost as drastic of a culture change in the general, like, egregore of Freemasonry that's, that seems to me as almost drastic as from operative to speculative. I Maybe not quite as, but um, it seemed like a phase shift in Freemasonry for sure. No? I mean, like, that just popped into my head. I never thought to compare it to that, right. but it doesn't seem too far off. Yeah, there was a huge shift. I mean, imagine an influx of all these veterans coming back from foreign wars and their friends and their buddies at work and yeah. things like that and people just being interested in seeing what Freemasonry is about. And you see the old lodge, the old temples and the old lodge rooms and, you know, the old uh, um, minutes books and things like that. There were spaces for many, many people. Yeah, you know, it was it was like from operative to speculative to uh, or no from operative to to philosophical to fraternal almost. Yeah, yeah, and I mean the fraternal element's always there, mm-hmm. right? It's there now. It was there a hundred years ago. It was certainly there fifty years ago. I guess it's just those what? distinctions would be the would be the sort of eminent like factor. Yeah, it's always been all of those things, I guess. Yeah. But, but there, it's like a like an EQ. You know, one mm-hmm. band on the EQ is uh, more cranked than another one. So, when did both of you <clears throat> first become aware of the, I guess, Masonic Restoration movement that was happening? For, the, for me, with Ascension, that was when you like when when Ascension was being formed. That was your first mm-hmm. first. Yeah. First time you noticed that that sort of thing bubbled yeah, up? Yeah, I didn't know it existed till 2016 or 17, and it was because I was keyed into the project that would become Ascension Lodge. But um, uh, really, I became aware of what that meant, I guess, when I went to the MRF in Santa Fe, right after we chartered. Yeah. We really got a good taste of what, what that really meant because... I think a part of that was kind of sending that delegation there was to get to know the um, oh, sure. the yeah. feel of the MRF. That was a recon mission. Yeah, and to to you know get eyes and ears on on Arizona a little bit. Yeah. What about you? Um, well, before we moved back to Phoenix, we were in Los Angeles, my wife and I. We're in Los Angeles from a couple years, 2012 to 2014. And during that time, I was a member, an affiliate member of South Pasadena 290. That's Dago Rodriguez and mm-hmm. all those people. And um, and they were, while they were not yet, I don't think they were yet recognized by the MRF, I had heard about this tendency towards... Um, T.O. Lodges, Continental Masonry, and and um, what's the other one? Uh, European Concept. So I'd heard some of these hyphenations then. I didn't know anything about them because I came from a straight up, you know, uh, mid-century Blue Lodge in Connecticut, 
we were in Los Angeles. I started, that's when I started to hear about these things. And I knew that uh, South Pasadena 290 was pursuing that, I think, at that time. So they were pretty ahead of the curve in terms of, by a few years, mm. you know, of getting uh, recognized MRF recognition. So that's something you can get. There, there's something like 100 lodges maybe in the United States and Canada that are recognized by the MRF as upholding certain standards pursuant to that kind of, that culture, that Masonic culture. 2001 is when the MRF was founded. About 20 years ago, right? So, so so I, I, we should probably kind of define a little bit what, what a brother going to a, a, a lodge that, kind of is part of that sonic restoration. What's that going to be like that's different than just maybe a, a typical lodge? Um, Wait, I th- I think... <clears throat> so we're, we're both going to be kind of... Well, not jaded, but we're both going to be a little biased because we made it. I think it's actually cooler to ask you that question because you, you really m- met it like with fresh eyes and ears as a, as a non-Mason. Like, I, I'm kind of want to... I want to throw that back at you. Um... Like what? So I guess, what I guess, were the first things that you noticed, and what stood out to you? And ha, had you had gone, you had gone to another lodge. I had gone to another lodge um, and done kind of a, the friend of friend program for about six months, and then uh, thought I need to try out some other places mm-hmm. first before I put in a petition somewhere. Just thought that was due diligence, and then I I heard Jamie on the Whence Came You podcast, and that he was in Phoenix, Shout and out I was like. Came you. I was like, okay, I have to go meet this guy. And then I met met Jamie, and it was like, okay, I think this group of Ascension guys is who I want to be around. Yeah. So what and, what stood out? What was what was different? Um, it immediately everyone was talking philosophy and talking. Um, I don't know. There just was like talk about kind of esoteric ideas. Everyone seemed to be into a different thing, whether it was Kabbalah or whether it was kind of just. Freemasonry, or whether it was, I don't know. The, the, the conversations, the conversations. Were what you noticed? Yeah, the conversations oh, okay. were what I see. Noticed. I wouldn't have like guessed that as a. I don't know what new guy, like you know, I don't know what our new guys yeah. noticed first. Yeah, so that um, that was something I noticed first, and then um, once and I, and, and then it was the idea, the realization that okay, this is this is going to take a while. This is not going to be a okay in six months. I'm a master mason. This is mm. this is going to be a slow process. But I saw the, I, you know, after talking to everybody, I kind of saw the value in that. I was like, okay, this is, it's probably a good thing that's not going to take so Do we explicitly tell you that? Yeah. We did. Yeah. He explicitly told me that. Um, and then it, 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 it was just a, it just felt right. So like going into it, I didn't know a whole lot, but I kind of, it felt like the right, right group of guys for me. But then, uh, you know, I, I haven't really been to a lot of other lodges, um, so I don't have a whole lot to compare it to. I've got what are, but I can tell you what what it, Freemasonry is to me. And um, Freemasonry to me is uh, going for stated where there's a little part of stated that's voting on things or hand, handling business, but all of the business is done in a different meeting. You know, it's done in a business meeting and stated is mostly time to really experience the ritual and then have education we have masonic education every single time um and so stated to me is masonic education that's that's they go hand in hand that's one of the hugest things about mrf 
that that I find attractive is the displacement of the the administrative stuff to a members meeting. You know, yeah. that to me was a novel concept because any lodge I had been a member or a visitor of before had their business in the stated meeting, which makes it so you, you know, depending on the lodge, that you don't want to go to the stated meeting because it's going to turn into just this, right. you know, people arguing and somebody showing up who's still dues current but never shows up until it's time to show up on a stated and vote something down, mm-hmm. some initiative or, or somebody else's crew who it's like, again, they never show up until so-and-so wants to pass some certain initiative so then they show up. Mm-hmm. Just little clicky stuff like that happens. But so... I mean, worst case scenario, you sometimes run into that stuff because yeah. Freemasonry is peopled by people, right? Human beings. So, uh, but the 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 cool thing, the best like initial mechanism, I think, of uh, to put into place is getting that business out of the stated meeting, putting it in a members meeting like we do, or a business meeting, whatever you call it, but off to the side, and then making the stated meeting about the experience you know right going you know tuxing up uh incense music lighting right the whole thing and having and then the centerpiece of every stated is an education right. a half an hour education sequence you know i think that's also better for business think about it like separating the business out actually you know with the intention of doing the business and not trying to cram everything in into one night right also is better for the business yeah. aspect of the launch. Absolutely. Like I enjoy our business meetings because because it's like okay we're there we're there for a we're there for a thing. It's, right. it's like it has intention. There's an agenda. Right. Yeah. We go yeah. over items. Everyone has a we're we're closer together. We don't have guests around, so right. we can we can speak you know freely about our lodge. Exactly. And um, we're not worried about getting people home at you know specific time, and we can do a hybrid thing. But I like also that a kind of a secondary effect of that is that it slows the lodge down because you know that's another i think this is a positive thing because you're taking another night you know where you might have done another degree or something like this and i think to your point of uh you noticed that it was going to be slower we we just frankly even flat out told you it was going to be slow um i mean that's one piece of that is that we have split out you know business and you know, I also like that. I like that it kind of slows down the cadence of the lodge, and it can't—you almost can't be a degree mill right. if you're being intentional about that business and doing it outside. It'd be hard, at, at least. But yeah. go on. And you can't—you um, uh, don't have to be an MRF lodge to do that. So right. that's that's what's important. Is yeah. like, or any of this stuff that right. we're going right. to talk about. You don't have to be recognized by them or follow their precepts or any stuff like that. It's just good practice. You know, it's good practice to if anybody's listening right now who's like an officer, a pedestal officer in your lodge or just somebody who's active in the 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 way things go down at your lodge. Try getting your business out of the stated into a meeting off on the side when, like Jake was saying, you could pay more attention and and really get into the minutiae of your business if you're not trying to speed through it and get everybody home or you don't want to bore visiting brethren you know and that's how you have that conversation with your brother because we understand that you know culture shifts within established lodges are about the hardest thing that there is but 
the way to have that conversation is to spin the positive that it's better for business and better for stated. It's yeah. a net positive. Right. It's another night of the month. But, you know, maybe take off, maybe replace the night that you would all get together and watch National Treasure. <laughs> or replace the night you would have initiated some guy that probably shouldn't be in Freemasonry. Well, true, yeah. Stop being a degree mill yeah. and don't, you know, be more intentional about what you're doing with the West Gate. I I think anyway. So I I think that um well it's first interesting that you noticed conversations first. Yes. I wouldn't have guessed that. Um as opposed to say like the aesthetic of the second floor and the tuxedos and that sort of thing. I'm well, sure you did notice well, that. Like I but... couldn't you don't see that it, for a while, you know? I mean, yeah. you don't really the, Like so, obviously we didn't take you up to the third floor. That's right. another point. So yeah. I I I never saw the inside of a lodge room until it was my my EA my, my EA degree, and and so um, I knew we would be wearing tuxedos. I knew I, I kind of had these little faint ideas, but you know, I'll be, I'll be frank. Frankly, um, ascension kind of was what I had in my head, what I was searching for. This I was looking for kind of the History Channel experience, and I thought that's kind of what it was across the board. Um, and so I was, you know, kind of surprised after the fact to kind of learn a little different. But being able to, I don't know, um, like I had a, for my, my EA, I had a, uh, a chamber of reflection experience. Um, not too common. Not too common. I was surprised to hear that because I was, uh, but, but, but for me, it was like, I can't imagine that degree without that experience. Yeah, know? right. There's states, there's places where that's still illegal. That, that was, that was a profound way to start. You know, I, I walked into the. I was led into the lodge blindfolded, and the, the first place I was put was inside a chamber of reflection, and um, and it was it was a profound time, and then and then on to the degree, and it was. Um, and then we then we jumped you. Yeah. <laughs> and, mm. and so uh, it's things like that that I think kind of set set have set me up to really experience Freemasonry in an important way of like that for me that that. Uh, chamber of reflection made very clear that hey the key to unlocking all this stuff is self-reflection it's taking a moment and thinking about the meaning and uh, how it's going to apply to your life and and that was a great for me that was a great lesson to to walk into the first degree with and and it's a dude you keyed into all this stuff wait have we told the pen story on the podcast before i think we have yeah i'm sure we have just, I don't know that. Just oh. in case you you don't know the pen story. So I, I get put in the chamber of reflection. <laughs> oh yes, yeah. Yeah, right. we've talked we've talked about that. Now nah, tell it real quick. Uh, chamber of reflection. Real I'm quick. sitting there, and they tell me, you know, there's a brother outside the door. Knock if you need assistance. And and I'm writing, and the pen the the quill pen dries out, and it won't work anymore. And I'm like, okay, am I supposed to am I supposed to be humble and ask for help or what like, what am I supposed to do here? Is that intentional? So I knock on the door and I'm like, hey, the pen's dead. And they gave me a new pen. I sat down and start writing and that one goes dead. And I'm like, wow, these guys are good. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought it was part of the thing. You know, I don't Knocks know. Knocks again. What do you know? Knock again. Give me another pen. That one works. Everyone outside is like, what the? What is wrong with that on. guy? How's this, why is he going through all our pens? <laughs> but, but there's a, so that, that, those, those, a lot of those uh, I found over time that a lot of the, uh, I don't know, would you call them embellishments or the, 
the extra. Yeah, I think that's a good word. Um, that that things that I thought were just kind of part of it turned mm-hmm. out to be, you know, maybe special to us or yeah, um, you know, what if? And a lot of those I, th- I think are real, uh, real important. Um, oh, the fact. Okay, for after after to to go from degree to degree, uh, at Ascension you've got to do a you have to learn some ritual and participate. You have to uh, do a, a presentation before the lodge, and you have to do the long form. Um, yeah, our requirements are exactly. Um, before you can advance to the next degree, you have to wait six months. So there has to be a six-month sort of gestation period where At you least. sit with the material. Usually At least longer. six months. Um, you have to know the, the catechism, the obligation, uh, signs, scripts, and words, of course. And you have to do... You have to memorize a component of ritual, whether it's a charge or the apron lecture or, or a piece of one of the lectures. And you have to present an advancement project and that advancement project must um and it can be delivered in any medium it could be a paper it could be a sculpture it can be interpretive dance it could be a puppet show whatever it is but it must show your proficiency in the esoteric and exoteric uh content of the degree and once you have those whatever five things in order which is more than most more than most lodges will ask for but we think it's important to set the bar high and plus do you not feel like you were invested in the experience like for me when i came through they said you just have to know the short form you know and i was like i want to do the long form so they let me do the long form yeah i i mean it definitely puts you know we we've we've talked in past uh episodes about kind of building that um the memory palace and and you know you're, we're, we're temple builders i mean that's what right. being a mason is and and that learning this ritual is is doing that and uh yeah i i, I really have found a lot of value in learning the apron lecture learning the g lecture learning um you know doing these 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 uh like projects uh, presentations before the lodge there's there's been a lot of value in that and really kind of digesting it yeah. and then and then not just that but like you know you're not going to get up cold and do a presentation you're going to talk with other brothers about the thing that you're doing and and the conversations that happen there are really important i mean jake and i we've had a lot of great conversations over coffee talking about this stuff and oh, yeah. are you guys mentor mentee yeah all right that's what i thought so um what do you think jamie was the most um important thing for you in forming this flavor of lodge like what what was really important to you in establishing within the culture well how that worked out was i got an email or somebody told me hey harley and micah and a few other people are and now i didn't know either of them so this was 2016 probably Mm -hmm. i didn't know either of them because i had pretty much my masonic experience in phoenix has been just downtown i didn't i didn't visit a lot of other lodges i went to arizona number two downtown and i hung out at the downtown temple so i didn't know a lot of people but um but they said yeah harley goodson and micah wimmer and a few other people are starting this uh you know, 
kind of an observant lodge is how it was pitched, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, I was an organist at Arizona Number no. 2, and I had known about, vaguely known about this tendency from South Pasadena. So I was like, yeah, I'd like to get involved in something that's, you know, I'm not dissing Number 2. They're a great lodge. They're, you know, great second oldest. Yeah, great group of guys. But um, I did want to get involved on in at the ground floor of, of a new project. I felt I had the bandwidth at the time, and um, it sound it was desirable uh, to see that process, and I kind of wanted to just be present for this sort of thing. Plus, I had the vague notion that was still for everybody a vague notion, even in 2016, that the tide was sort of turning in the craft. I had noticed it, you know, from the five years before that, how things were like, you know, just little by little, you know, things were getting, it seemed to be getting different, you know, different every month, a little change, you know, now it's like snowballing. Right. Now it's crazy how much momentum uh, this movement. We have has. three lodges on the MRF roster in Arizona. Yeah. Apparently that's a lot. Yeah. As ten, like 10% of the, what does Jean-Claude say? 10 or 11%. Mm-hmm. But no, but finish to to that to my question of like what was so was it music um what well we didn't we had for the yet. project what was most important to you to sort of have in the culture um i guess to generally just to be active in the development of mm-hmm. a project that i could get behind um you know ethically aesthetically and otherwise i felt like it was good for the craft and i felt like again i had the bandwidth at the time to be able to take on a project like that which was a lot of work for all of us you know uh harley and micah did the you know most of the organizational structural stuff at the front end um and uh, we had a good group of guys you squeaked in at the last minute to be our 17th guy i believe we needed 15 guys. I believe we had something like 17. Yeah, 16. And, yeah. Uh, and then, um, yeah, so I was just interested in getting involved in that project. And, uh, yeah. That's... Yeah. Did you – I'm kind of bouncing around in thoughts, sure. but I yeah. just thought of something. You um, – actually, I think you presented those, uh, like the apron lecture. Mm-hmm. I think you were better at doing the apron lecture because we had sort of forced intention in your experience. Because I'm thinking about my that the apron was the first thing that I learned after I'd been raised, or no, I think after I'd been just entered, and uh, I was it was horrible. I was so bad at it because I I was just told to memorize it, mm-hmm. just go memorize this real quick because it was needed. It was needed for a degree that was coming up. And um, in stark contrast, you know, we we forced you, you guys to learn of your, uh, you know, a lecture of your choosing. But I think because of that, you were so much better. Your first time you were, it sounded like emotional and Thank it was you. great. So, yeah, we try to develop. Rhetoric, you know, that's yeah. rhetorical delivery, path, pathos, logos, ethos. Yeah, right. you had the time to reflect on it, yeah. so you knew what was going on, and it was emotional. Right. So you were we, literally better at it we had, because it was intentional. We had had lots of conversations about it because was, cause with that time came right. you and I and you, you and I and different guys hanging out talking. 
you, you kind of have conversations about it and that reinforces like some of the meaning, you know, you, you, yeah. you kind of pick up a little, little elements of it that you find important. And, and then, our conversations are technical too, because nobody's afraid of saying you need to slow down. Right. You need to be louder. Like I said that to you literally yeah. last week. Yep. Yeah. Like you were doing something. I was like, slow down and be louder. Yeah. I think you were doing your obligation or something like yeah. that. And, and the, uh, the other aspect of it is everybody, knows their lines you're kind everyone's expected to know their lines um and so oh yeah you'd be a fool to show up at ascension lodge being an officer not know your stuff yeah you gotta know your you would lines. be like you would be you would be looked at with stinky eyes <laughs> that, that's just the way it should be well yeah because we won't it's put not you in just the ritual. your time yeah we you won't. just won't end up in the degree right someone else will yeah, if you can't and that's handle knowing. it, and that's part—that's a good—that's a good part of segue the into that part of the culture, which is the—it's a meritocracy, and we go by emergence. Like technically, I've said this before. Technically, you could be a junior steward one year and be worshipful master the next year. It would be a tremendous amount of work. It would be almost impossible. But there's nothing precluding you from doing that other than your volition. If you were to, let's say you're a, a junior steward one year, if you were to corral the confidence of all the brethren in that lodge, if you were to meet all your proficiency and get, you know, um, right with the jurisdiction to where you had your cards signed and everything, and everybody felt like you had that emergence, that quality behind you, you were just a full on Ubermensch who was clearly the guy, mm -hmm. you know, everybody would be like, okay, you're master next year. And that's so again, an individual like that just doesn't come along, but it could technically happen, right? Because we're not a progressive line. And I think that's something that has gone away. Um, I don't think that's as as regular a mechanism in the MRF uh, culture hmm. than it is in regular Blue Lodge, where in regular 20th century Blue Lodge, you know, if you were a a junior deacon one year you knew you were one two three four five years away from being master because there were that many chairs between you and the east so you can kind of see you know and a lot of lodges still do that progressive thing where you can look into the future by looking down the chairs and be like all right we're gonna have a good year that year and then the next year not so much because <laughs> you knew who was gonna be there you know so we don't have that issue um, and I think that's part of the M is that not part of the MRF culture? Mer what meritocracy? A meritocracy plus getting rid of the progressive line. I'll be honest, like I don't know. I hope that, I hope this doesn't get us kicked off the MRF list. But I don't know the like the are there um, explicit things like on their website? Like I I haven't I don't. I don't even think about it like that. Like, we're, I don't think about, like, we're trying to check boxes, you right. know? Because, like, we've even been been asked to, like, hey, we, you could have gotten the Master Architect Award. Why aren't, why aren't you doing it? Right. Just because we're not, that's not what we're thinking about. Sure. We're just thinking about doing the best possible Freemasonry that we can. Yeah. And uh, I don't really th think of it in terms of categories or, or different names or whatever. But I it should be. I mean, I think every lodge, again, outside. Even outside the MRF uh, recognition, should be a meritocracy. Like that probably exists in the lodge already. For most lodges, uh, a kind of outside of the the 
explicit structure of the chairs. Like I bet there are still the the obvious guys at the top of the meritocracy, like doing all the work, showing up first in, last out sort of guys, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're just not getting the chairs because it's a progressive line, right? So, so here's this. Does that make sense? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. Yeah. So, well, how do you, with 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 trying to do something like this, how do you do it without kind of coming across as elitist? You know, I don't think you can, because there are always going to be individuals that just believe that for whatever reason it's your job to to change their minds by inviting them to the lodge and shaking everyone's hands and engaging in fraternity and agape and yeah being, if people get the notion that you're or they somehow get the idea in their head that you're a to lodge i think there are certain jurisdictions like grand jurisdictions that kind of frown on that i've heard this from brethren you know in other jurisdictions yeah i know that uh you you get looked at askance um and you're definitely coming from a deficit that's why we didn't want to telegraph that mm-hmm. in uh with ascension and that's why from the you know w- once i got to the east i was like even at my installation i was like i call i gaveled everybody down we got on the level mm-hmm. you know like you do at the end of a, a stated and i was like I don't want anybody to think we're hyphenating our masonry. We're just a blue lodge. We have a certain culture that we adhere to, and it's not necessarily the MRF culture to a T. Right. It's it's these it's this body of material that we've selected, and we've gone to MRF symposia, and we've done uh, you know the the things to uh, learn from you know the best developed practices from MRF lodges and things like that. But uh, again, we're not hyphenated. We're just, and there's the other thing, the cultural thing. So I wouldn't go to a cowboy lodge where they wear bolo ties for their jewels and things like that. I wouldn't go there and be like, oh, you're elitist. You know what I mean? You guys, I can't show up with my bow tie and my tux. You're going to look at me funny because you have, um, uh, what are they, overalls and a bolo tie and a cowboy hat in the east it's like no that's sh- i would never say that that right. would be like rude of me to say yeah. if i show up to a lodge like that i'm down with their culture i right. mean whatever you know it's their thing so i think that ultimately i think that same courtesy that same courtesy should be extended to um quote unquote observant lodges or mrf st- or restorative lodges i like that word better yeah i like restorative yeah. but the, yeah for sure the answer is you, there's no way to do it where it's you're not where you're not going to get those opinions. You just have to change them. Well, and that's the thing about Freemason, right? Is 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 that each lodge has its own culture, and it's it's up to the brother to, to find the lodge that best fits what they're looking for. Yeah, right? if you don't for like sure. bow ties and tuxes, you don't have to go. Right. If you don't like music and incense and things like that. Uh, if you're into a more low-key crosstalk sort of lodge where people are cracking jokes during degrees, go to that lodge. It's totally fine. Nobody's nobody's like uh, keeping score. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. So I think similar to 
our job at, as Masons in general out in the world to sort of, um, you know, uh, portray f- Freemasonry in a positive way. You know, we are to embody that and, and be a positive example for Freemasonry out in the world. I think um, observant Masons or Masons who are a, maybe a part of a restorative style lodge should do that internally within Freemasonry. Just be a good, don't be elitist. Yeah. It's that easy. That's Just so be bad. a good dude in Freemasonry <laughs> exactly. and you'll yeah. change opinions. And it's massive for us because what have we been saying from the beginning? Since we were under, under dispensation with this lodge, we've been saying we just want to propagate excellent Freemasonry. We'd love to, you know, and even when Harley, once we got our... Uh, our charter and we started having meetings and everything and having visitors harley would say at the end um anything you see here bring it make it your own bring it back to your lodge we're not proprietary about any of this stuff if you see anything you like what we're doing with the incense the music the lighting etc you know take any of it back we're not we're not going to be like oh they're biting our style or whatever because uh it's it's the goal is to share that culture you know and if people want to take some of that back to their blue lodge and we've found that that has happened yeah there's no appropriating right right. that culture and and like the big goal is to make an impact in someone's life right i mean that's the goal of these degrees is to have and give give a man these impactful experiences that to reflect on and sure and And there's the sidebar goal of leaving a a better Freemasonry behind sure. you. Yeah. You know, that's the collective goal. There's right. the goal, the individual goal. The primary goal is to have transformational degrees and make Masons in the in the fullest sense of the word. But uh, but there's also this sort of tangential goal of spreading and propagating excellent Freemasonry. Right. In a in the restorative sense. So when you think about like the future of Freemasonry, I know you've kind of thought about this a lot. Like what, what do you see all this going? What do you? Um, I've heard a lot of different opinions from uh, close brothers, like brothers that are like-minded um, and and engage in you know the same flavor of Masonry that have totally different opinions on where it's going which is interesting but um i think like what though is is anybody pessimistic anymore i think there's i think there are yeah so there are pessimistic masons who think that it it, that um it's not right sizing that it's just going to shrink and go away are they older cats or these are younger people who think think we're younger guys there's guys that think that um they're, they're, that all Freemasonry, or at least American Freemasonry, will become co-ed in, in their lifetime. There's Masons. So, there's, I don't know. There's a bunch of hot takes. But I guess my uh, my broad, sweeping opinion, because I, I don't know. I'm not going to guess about particulars. I don't know if women... I don't think so. I don't think that's the case. But um, I think generally it's going in a pot. I think it's right-sizing. So, I actually think that Freemasonry is right-sizing. I don't think we're going to sort of die with entropy and just go away and no. there's no more i don't think that's uh like a rational 
five. Right. And even if there were ten Freemasons in Arizona, it's Freemasonry I that, still exists. I would be in that lodge. Exactly. So, I think one, it's right sizing. So I think we're beca- becoming um, a more s- sort of stable um, population. We're going to lose some of our buildings, though. So there's an MRF issue. Just is they're talking about we don't want to lose. We have some of the most beautiful buildings in America. Right. I mean, some of the just greatest structures. I mean, classical architecture. I mean, just great, great, the best buildings. But uh, we're we don't want to like lose those. So that's the that's my biggest concern. Well, Freemasonry is going to have to address that. I mean, that's right. something that at say like a Grand Lodge conference or leadership, con- you know, at some at some point that's probably going to have to be addressed. It and usually, we're losing them every it's year. It's usually, right. a, you know, yeah, it usually just comes up right. and they're gone and they're sold, turned into a whatever a theater, or yeah. raised or whatever. My Blue Lodge. My mother lodge is losing their building. Really? Yeah. Are they just like going to raise year. it or sell it or what are they going to do? Uh, they're selling it to like a church or something like yeah. that. And then they're moving elsewhere. Yeah. They might move in with another lodge. I mean, because if you think about it, like if, if the other lodges in our building went away, we it would go away. We oh, yeah. couldn't figure that out. No. Ascension Lodge mm-hmm. could not maintain that. And we've or... got one of the older buildings in Phoenix. We've right. got a beautiful temple. So that. totally, that's, that's an issue. Um, I don't really... I haven't probably thought about it as much as it sounds like Jamie has, but I think um, other than my point of it right-sizing, I think that it's going to sort of phase shift back into more of a philosophical lodge. I think that's happening just culturally in the United States in general. Like yeah. I think more people are are kind of sick of things or sick of this monotonous uh, way of life, this mundane way of life. I think that our... our lifestyle in general is becoming sort of a generally um not popular like i think a lot of people are seeking something deeper i guess is what i'm pointing at and i think that freemasonry will become a bastion for that and i think that while we right size we will become more contemplative and more philosophical again and i think we will have guys knocking at the west gate who are looking for that like you were you know and less of the I mean, there is no possibility for a fraternal boom. That can't happen in, in the next several hundred years. I mean, just looking at the generations that are coming, it's not possible unless the same thing happens with a war or whatever. But I just don't think we're going to have the same type of no wars way. even. So I don't think it's possible for what happened in, say, the 1940s to happen in the next several centuries. Or ever again. Or hopefully ever again. But... Yeah. Um, I think it's, I have like, I look forward to it. Oh, I look I'm forward t- to the free, I'm more Freemasonry. optimistic every day yeah. about Freemasonry. When we see these conferences that, that, you know, you have to remember that something like a Masonic con or things like that, that's a relatively new thing. Like, hmm. uh, to have the species of conferences that we have now an abundance of many of them a year is something that's like mate, not 10 years old. You know, that's like, I think Ezekiel Bates had the first, like, real one of this new style Masonic conference. Uh, And that was, I want to say, 2016. So it's a Mm. new phenomenon. And now there are esoteric cons, there's Masonic cons, there's all kinds of cons and and, um, these these events, you know. And and plus, those events have also helped us to um, 
compare notes nationally at the national level so you're not just hanging out with people in your jurisdiction all of a sudden you're comparing notes and best developed practices with somebody on the other side of the country and you know them and they know you and social media has played a part in that yeah what a weird little another sidebar what a weird benefit from COVID yeah. was was Zoom it kind of meetings yeah it kind of helped the fraternity a little bit become more integrated and more right i mean yeah, that's how exactly. i felt yeah, a lot of education was happening online yeah. like a lot right. of stuff like popped that up. day right it yeah. was yeah right away yeah there were a lot of Masonic. it was like it was a quick you, pivot and it was great and it's and it stayed to you wanted extent. to see education there was lots of opportunity yeah. yeah, yeah. Joe that, Martinez started Refracted Light like within the week of everybody getting. Um, shout out, Joe. Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of, you know, for as unfortunate as those couple of years were because we couldn't meet and whatever. But I think the we we now benefit from what happened because we've realized that we had some tools that maybe we didn't realize we had before, which was yeah. which was cool, and that's has stayed and internationally as well. So there is a Masonic global conspiracy. I think there is, yeah, finally, yeah, finally. Masonic globalism, the <laughs> yeah. globalist, Masonic, and, and shout out to our global listeners. I mean, we we do get a lot of listens in uh, the UK, some in Australia, some in Canada. So international brothers yeah. pat's doing a little damage control he's hey, like hey. that's actually not we're actually not doing that if you are listening no i think i it looks really positive to me in the future of freemasonry and i think for for like new guys and for young guys you have a lot to look forward to and and um that's something else if you're a seeker if you're not a mason and you're hearing this like check out know that there are different cultures within freemasonry and seek one out that works out for you. Don't just end up at the first lodge that's available and never check anything else out. Right. Because that's ultimately was your story, you know. And, um, thank God you did that. Thank God you were listening to a podcast, actually, where that <laughs> happened. Um, so I think the future is bright. You know, I had just left the Grand Lodge Leadership Conference, and the Grand Lodge had asked me, uh, sat me down at lunch yeah. a couple of the next um, head honchos that are coming up oh, damn. and said, hey, Jim, well, George Rusk. Uh, yeah, a couple a couple guys mm-hmm. and um, asked if uh, I would help them sort of re reconfigure the the leadership conference in general oh. and, and make yeah. it more Masonicon and make it more about, um, you know, the Western esoteric tradition, all this stuff. They were like, we're into it. We yeah. want to bake it in. We want to turn this into a more... They you should. Know, bra- and I was like, yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's... To have a Grand Lodge acknowledge that mm-hmm. and then to ask how how to make that happen is a pretty big deal. Oh, you know? massive. They started to that test it out. That wouldn't happen five years ago. No, they started to test it out with you, obviously, last year. But I think... Now that they're they're seeing more of that happening around the valley, yeah. valley, you know, yeah. more talks and whatnot. Now they're like, all right, let's just go full bore into yeah. it. Let's figure it out. Um, so that's also pretty telling. We've got a Grand Lodge, and that's hopefully not only Arizona. I mean, we've got a Grand Lodge inquiring about how to, you know, become more philosophical. That's a pretty big deal. It is a big deal. Not to like diss twentieth century blue lodges though like i come from a very good one a very old lodge and and me too and it's 
it was, uh, you know, they, they gave a good degree and, um, the guys were great. You know, uh, I wouldn't be talking about Kabbalah or astrology with, I don't think any of them, but, uh, that's not necessary because, right. you know, what's necessary is, uh, that we do good, good, um, degree work. I mean, that's number one, making Masons, right? It's on everybody's charter, right? Uh, initiate pass and raise all good men i think that's pretty universally on everybody's charter and um to give them a good transformative experience and do the work uh in whatever your ritual work is per jurisdiction to do a good job doing that work because as we've said before i think everything that freemasonry has is in its ritual and symbolism everything else is commentary you know, all the embellishments and all that stuff, that's cultural right. commentary stuff, right? But everything we have is in um, the work of your jurisdiction. You know, that ritual book that you're given as a lodge officer, you know, that's the the teachings of masonry are in there. Like, they're not fully obvious, you know, the, the moral and ethical application of the working tools, let's say, that's pretty obvious, but there are deeper implications of all of these things right lies and serious truths yeah yeah so um so anyway yeah a 20th century lodge they did carry forth an intact edifice right freemasonry has not fallen apart it's not like it it was in bad hands for a hundred years right it was just not utilized to its fullest extent by everybody i think that's back to uh, one of the first things we were saying where it was like that tone was turned up or whatever, whatever right. you know, analogy you use. But that's how it felt. An equalizer. Yeah. Yeah. You're the, the music guy. What else do you think, Pat? Hmm. What was the thing at the beginning? And we were like, we'll get to that at the end. I think Jake was wanted to, to have me kind of reflect on my experience in Freemasonry. Well, yeah, I know that that's kind of a project, I think, of yours in general, right? Yeah, it's, in fact, just it was just last week I did my, obli- my I did my presentation and my obligation in my in front of the lodge and in my his master long Mason. form for master. He's got his dues card. Got, I've folks. got my dues card now. Three three and a half four years later, I've got my dues card. Yeah. yeah. Um. What? Let me ask you this. I asked you what stood out to you when you first met the guys and you first came to our lodge but what what stood out to you and you ha- you're gonna have to be kind of vague right but um what stood out during the ritual experience what was like the most uh searing thing i don't know what i, I would just say that they were the solemnity of the ritual was apparent in all three like it felt serious it felt, it felt very serious it felt like a moment you know, there there definitely felt like a moment of being, of leaving the mundane world behind and having an experience. And um, and how we talked earlier about like the delivery of the ritual and how the ritual is delivered, how people how people know their lines and and not just the words, but know the meaning. And it's like the difference between going to when you see um, difference between a Shakespearean actor giving. 
who maybe just learned the, the the play saying the lines and then somebody delivering the lines you know and yeah i think of like the office where, where you can watch a few um of their just script readings like around a table you know uh with like a crappy zoom mic and they're just record like reading you know around a table and then you and then you actually see the episode and you can see the difference between them just kind of well it was there was just there was a lot of feeling in what what was being said to me you know you could tell that there was conviction behind the, the words and then you know the, the the lighting the mood the pretty much the the attention to detail was was pretty uh impactful and then um the conversations afterwards too because everyone wants to talk about that stuff you know they want to talk about the meaning or ask you what your favorite part of it is and then you know compare that with theirs and talk you know and um that was this may probably sound weird you know because i i i joined a fraternity but brotherhood wasn't the thing i was so much looking for like i think i was looking for knowledge and i was looking for these ideas and i i don't know i i've always kind of been i'm not never really been a joiner of anything and but i what i found though now is i the brotherhood is really important to me you know the, uh, that ha- the, I could say the, that happened to me. The, fr- oh, yeah. the fraternal aspect of it is like more important than I would have ever thought. Exactly. I didn't. I didn't know I needed that. Right. You were looking right. for light, and you got love. There we go. Yeah, I think that's that's a really good way of putting that. Yeah. And it felt good. <laughs> <laughs> feels good. And man. It feels good, man. No, it that happened. That happened to me. Um, definitely, and it keeps getting better too. I mean, some of my best friends, right? Look at us, yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, amazing people have walked have come into my life through Freemasonry, and I'm yeah. I'm blessed for it, you know. Yeah, which, which to take this full circle is something I guess we really inherited from the last generation. Yeah, yeah, they really that was their thing, it was the brotherly love. They were hanging out. That's what they needed. That was their thing, and um, that's like probably the best thing that we can retain from that previous generation of masons is the uh brotherly love because we each of us can attest to that maybe rose to the top right it was def- definitely the a, benefits you know definitely a hidden part of freemasonry it should, probably should have been an obvious part of it but for me it was one of the hidden parts of freemasonry that i i've found a lot of value in yeah what do we think that's about an hour yeah i think that's about an hour let's, let's wrap uh, it up let's wrap it up um we got some articles coming out. Yep. We've got. Um, we're probably going to try to do another one of these soon. Um, by the time this comes out, I don't know. MRF is probably going on or j- just ended or something. But um, check us out on Instagram. Go to triaprima.co. No M. That's right. We could not afford read every single article um, and buy some socks. That's right. That's right. Buy some socks. Jamie needs some Tria Prima socks. Yeah. What do we, do we make socks? We have socks. We have socks. <laughs> what's uh, what's on them? The uh, Trio Prima logo. It's our logo. Oh, okay, yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. I'll get it. They come in red. We, they could. All right. All right. Would well, you na- like red? Now socks? in red. <laughs> <laughs> in suit. In special edition red socks yeah. on their way soon. Red socks. All right. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.